Welcome back, everyone, to Law School Life and Beyond's Leadership Series. My name is Katia, and I'm the host of this podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Tiana Paraconi. Tiana is an employment lawyer at Workly Law, which is a newly formed female-led law firm focused on employment and labor law issues. Tiana is also a dual JD graduate, so I'm super excited to speak to her about her experience with this program that I have now come to know and love. So with that, thank you so much, Tiana, for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Okay, so I always start off with this question. What drew you to a career in law? So I would say as a kid, I loved reading and writing. Like I was the type of person, you know, you ask your mom and your dad for toys. I was saying, hey, can we go to chapters and can I buy six novels? And I'd be the one at recess where I wouldn't even play. I would just stay in a corner and read books. So I was really like that nerdy type. And I also loved to write. Uh, my teachers would always say, like, I would stay in a recess and say, hey, can I write, like, fairy tale stories today? And they're like, okay, sure, Tiana, do whatever you want. So from, like, an early age, I had the passion for reading and writing. Uh-huh. Then, you know, when I went into high school, everyone takes a career course. And reading and writing are one of the main skills to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I inputted that, and it said, you know, you should be a lawyer. I said, oh, okay. You know, I am a pretty vocal person, love reading and writing, so let's try it out. So grade 11, I took my first law course, absolutely fell in love, wow. and it really shaped what I was going to do in my future, the community involvement I did, and what I ended up doing in undergrad. Wow, that is so fun that you learned that early on that you wanted to be a lawyer. How nice is that? <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it just, you don't really know what you want to be when you're a kid, but you do know the transferable skills that can possibly lead to a legal career. Like a lot of people, you ask them, hey, why law? And they'll say, oh, I love arguing. But we both know like the just of being a lawyer is a lot of reading and writing. Yeah. And it's something, especially going to law school, that you really need to take a hands on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So then um, how did you find the dual JD program? Was that your number one choice or why okay. was that? <laughs> so, you know, at, at, so I initially applied to the dual JD program because I was actually doing U.S. immigration law Cool. for one of the big management consulting firms. Cool. And I felt it was really interesting doing seeing the legal aspects of the U.S., but I honestly had no clue. I had no clue what I really wanted to do. All I knew was I liked my job now, and they offered me to go back as a full-time U.S. lawyer. Wow. So I said, hey, okay, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to apply for the dual program. I ended up applying to the dual program, got in, and I said, okay, this is what I want to do. So the dual program itself, as you probably know, it's really challenging. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will say, you know, Canadian American law, it's the same. It's not the same. No. And it was, it was a huge challenge for me being in, let's say, a tort exam. And I'm writing, I'm, I'm saying, wait, is this the test for Canada or is this the test for the U.S.? Yeah. Right? And as more alum get hired into the workforce and a lot more people start to figure out what the dual JD program is, it ends up being a really good selling point because employers start to look at us and say, hey, like you are willing to do a Canadian and American degree within three and a half years and you came out successful in the program. And that itself shows mm-hmm. that you as an employee will be up for the challenge mm-hmm. because it wasn't easy. No, and I always wondered because I think that the dual JD 
um, is very underrated. And I'm not just saying that I'm not this person that just has like an arbitrary pride in whatever school I go to. Like you kind of have to earn it. Like, and I, in the dual GD program, I mean, it's a fact that we take more credits than at least the single program. And I'm sure, I'm sure that that applies across like all single GD programs in Canada. I don't know how many credits they have to take, but it would logically follow that we have to take a few more. So I think that thinking about that. And then if you're involved in school or if you have a job, like you just, you have more on your plate. So I always wondered how that would play out in interviews because I do think the dual JD program is underrated. But when you look at the facts, I think that it's an inherently impressive program. And again, I'm not just saying that because I'm in the program. I, yeah. like, I'm not like rah, rah, Windsor until they earned it. And I'm like, you know what? No, I, I really do take pride in this program and what we've done and the workload that we've handled. And you know, a lot of people don't talk about this aspect of the American program is the practical learning aspect, meaning mm. a lot of people don't know it's mandatory for us to do a legal clinic. It's yes. mandatory for us to do a law firm practice program. Mm. And those are two courses that I wish, you know, single JD programs would have because a lot of theory is great and learning about the law is great. But how are we applying that to the real world? How are you dealing with clients? How are you dealing with vulnerable communities? Yeah. Those are transferable skills that you may only be able to learn while in law school, if you are in a legal clinic, mm -hmm. um, I was really fortunate enough to do something called the juvenile appellate law firm yes. practice program. And I loved it because even though I didn't end up going in that type of work, I had the skills to end up dealing with vulnerable communities or mm -hmm. low income communities. And being in employment law, sometimes I have to deal with that mm -hmm. more often mm -hmm. than not. Yeah. And I also, I always laugh too about, because in the U S they practice the Socratic method or cold calling, right? right, right. Like Canada, they don't. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're sweating every class, most classes. Some of them, some professors don't practice uh, the Socratic method, but some of them do. And it's just, Oh, it toughens you up. <laughs> well, it keeps you on your toes. Right. Yes. And, and readings. Right. And it, you know, it, you sometimes go inside of class and let, let's be honest, like you're not doing the readings beforehand. No. You're sitting in one of those Canadian classes, but the American, I was always like, oh my God, I need to do my readings beforehand yes. because if I get asked on this, I don't want to look dumb. No, so 100%. it really pushes you to learn. Like a lot of people are against it, but think about the bonus, right? You are actually doing your readings beforehand mm -hmm. and you actually understand the concepts going forward. hundred percent. I, uh, uh, like I have said since my experience with being cold called that if I ever go back and teach, like I will do that. And it's one of those things where it, you're not going to thank me for it in the moment, but after the fact you will, because like you said, I am behind right. in many of my readings in my Windsor classes. I am up to date yeah. and current on my US ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really gives you the push. Yes, it does. Cause I'm not trying to look like a fool in front of all my colleagues. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so fun talking to a dual JD alum. Um, so I want to ask then, why did you pursue employment law? So I would say in my undergrad, I did commerce degree and I specialized in law and business. Cool. So I went to Ryerson and I honestly love that program because it really pushes you to try every area of the law before you go to law school. Like not everyone goes into law school from the program, but at least you get to know, hey, if I do want to go into law school, what law do I want to practice? Mm. So I was able to do labor and employment law there, and I actually fell in love with it because there's two sides here. You get to help the employee who's been through a really tough situation, whether that be they were terminated, they have a human rights issue, and you're going to be that advocate for them. Mm. On the other side, you're helping businesses 
who want to really do better. They want to shape their company policies to treat their employees better, better uh, boost morale. And you're also helping them. There's a lot of people who will say, oh, if you work management side, that means you don't care about the small person. Mm-hmm. But really, you do care about the small person because you're the one telling the employer client, hey, you should really put a, a policy in place for this. Mm-hmm. Or this is what we should do better moving forward yeah. after, let's say, they terminate an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that. And I also love the advocating portion of it. We do a lot of litigation. Okay. And I love that I could be, you know, employees will come to you in a really bad time in their life. They've yeah. been in this company for 15 years. It's all they know is this company. They're terminated and they don't really have that voice. I love being that voice for that employee mm-hmm. to get what they deserve and also teach the company a lesson. Yeah. Right. You can't just get rid of your employees on a whim. Like, I mean, legally, I guess you can, mm. but you're showing that company, Hey, next time we go through a termination, maybe we should take these steps because we yeah. don't want to be in a legal battle. Like we were with that employee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in this area of law, you, you start to find like there's some companies who are notorious for treating their employees wrongly. Interesting. Which is, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to be on the inside of that. Yes. <laughs> and you know, like, what to expect when you're dealing with companies like that. Okay. Um, I was really into moots as a law student. Okay. And being in employment law, I look back at that experience. And I would say to any law student, do those moots. Mm-hmm. Have that experience, oral advocacy, because it will really help you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you, I know that there's a, a big mediation portion to employment and labor law also. Yes. So are you kind of engaging in that? Yeah. Yeah. There's okay. A lot of people ask me this question, actually. They say, how many of your cases end up actually going to court? Yeah. And I'll say a lot of them end up settling in mediation. Cool. And I think mediation is great because mm-hmm. it's low cost at, compared to an actual trial. You really get to put like all all your information to the mediator and say, Hey, what do you think of this? And even if it doesn't settle, you get that expert opinion from that mediator that hey, if you do go to trial, you may be looking at this, mm-hmm. right? Which you wouldn't otherwise get if you didn't go to the mediation. Mm-hmm. And it also gives your client that closure that they need. Mm-hmm. They were maybe were terminated and they haven't been able to really tell their story to the other person. They probably just told their lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, what was going on. But now they get to tell this mediator, Hey, this is how they treated me. And that mediator is able to give that closure, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. Okay, cool. And I didn't ask, I didn't write this in the email that I sent you, but I'm curious. I I think that HR is another really cool kind of subsidiary of labor and employment law. I don't know if it is cool. So it's like corporate HR, something that is that a leap that a lot of labor and employment lawyers make or something that you'd be interested in, or am I completely making this up? (laughs) So you've touched on a really good point. Okay. I think every company has uh, an in-house counsel, Yeah. right? The in-house counsel could just be general or it could be HR focused, which, you know, it's really nice and refreshing to see companies that have that HR internal lawyer. Yes. But because I also deal with companies, sometimes I am that lawyer for them. Okay. Sometimes I am that inside person because their in-house counsel is just so general. Okay. So would I see myself? Yeah. So would I see myself jumping into an in-house counsel role? I'm going to say no. 
because I love the litigation aspect of my job. Okay. I love working with multiple companies. Okay. I love having the ability to work with employees and employers. Okay. If I turn in-house, yeah, it's cool, businessy, whatever. But I'm not getting to help the underdog. I'm not willing. I can't help the employee anymore. Okay. So it's a cool jump. But in my role right now, I get to make policies for companies. Cool. I get to help employees with workplace investigations. Cool. And I get to help them with best practices moving forward, similar to what an in-house counsel role would do anyways. Okay. So you get a little bit of everything and that's more your job. We general. do everything. Anything employment, if it touches employment, labor, HR, I'm on it. Okay. Okay. So then my next question is, can you tell us a little bit about your current job at Workly Law? Yes. This is so exciting because... <laughs> We just started a month and a half ago. Wow. Yeah, we're so new and we're a newly founded woman founded firm. That's so fun. Right. And I love it because what there's a lot of employment labor firms. Let's take that off the bat, okay? But what is really cool about my firm is we focus in employment and labor law, but we also focus on startup law. Okay. And, you know, a lot of firms do it, but they don't sell it like that. So we like to help businesses who want to grow their team. And we have this product called an employer toolkit. And basically it's helping the small businesses or you don't have, you don't have to be small. You can actually be big as well yeah. um, with the necessary legal documents to build their grow, their workforce. Mm. So those are employment agreements, those are policies, that's like a template vac- uh, vaccination policy, termination letter. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you're, you have that entrepreneur mindset of how to grow the business, but you might not know the legal aspects of growing a business. That's, and that's, that's where we want to step in and say, hey, let me help you. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a startup and you're just an employee, you're an employer, we want to be that approachable lawyer. So our phone number to call us, you can actually text it as well. Mm. Really? We don't want to be, a lot of people see lawyers and they're like, oh, if I have to go to a lawyer, that's really scary. Yeah. But let's be real. Like if you need to go to a criminal lawyer, it's more rare, but you may need an employment lawyer in your life more than you'll ever need a criminal lawyer. 100%. So we don't want to be that, hey, what are the steps to get a lawyer? I have, I need to be formal. No, if you have a problem, why don't you text us? Why don't you send us a message on Instagram? And that's the way we'll reach out to you because we want to be the modern day employment and labor firm. Wow. wow. And yeah. how, many, how many people are working in the firm? So right now, it's just the founding partner. Her name is Sanir Chaudhary. She's been... 10 years out, she was actually named partner at another firm and decided to do her own thing Wow! and started Workly Law. It's me. We have a legal assistant and we're always growing and we're always looking for new people. That's um, so exciting. But it's small, but it's exciting. And I really do feel within the next year, we're going to grow substantially. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool that you're kind of at the birth of this oh. firm and then you're going to just be along for the journey and watch it grow. And I think that that's a really cool like career path. Yeah. And you know, and being in law school, there's a lot of people who will say, I want to end up at a big firm. Mm -hmm. I want to end up on Bay street. Like you hear this all the time. Right. But what's really cool about working at a small firm from the ground up is I really get to use that business side of me that, you know, when I started my art of clean position, I felt like I lost that. 
Okay. I felt like I was doing a lot of research and I was getting told a lot what to do, but I wasn't really getting to do things independently. And that's why I love working to, for this firm. That's why I love working for Sanira because she really trusts me in the business development. We do, we have marketing meetings. Um, last week we actually got to start our first Instagram live for questions. Wow. And we're looking to do that every week. And that's such a cool thing that a lot of the big firms aren't doing. So yeah, if you, Hey, you want to work at a big firm that that's up to you, but there's a lot of positives of working at a small firm and it's somewhere I'd rather be. Mm-hmm. I can tell how much you love your job and it's actually very energizing. Like I'm very happy for you, you. you found yourself in this spot. Cause it seems just like a perfect fit for you. <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, I would say a lot of law students, I like to do networking. I actually did a panel for Ryerson's law school last week on this nice. just woman empowerment and being in a small law firm. And what I'll say is this, I don't leave a lot of things to chance, but I mm. am a big believer in everything happens for a reason. Okay. And there was a time in my career where when I came out of law school where I said, my goal is to be at the big firm. But I look back now and I'm like, is that really what I wanted? Mm. It wasn't really what I wanted. It's what everyone's echoing around you. Yes. But until you work for the big firm, until you work the Bay Street, typical Bay Street position, you don't know what you want. Mm. It's really trial and error. Mm. And after my articling experience, I said, this is exactly where I need to be. And I feel so much more passionate being in this Mm. position than I was a year ago. How did you find this job? How did I find this job? Well, that is a fun question. (laughs) Me and Sanira actually worked at my articling firm together. Okay. And we hit it off. Wow. So I would work under a lot of Sanira's cases and we had a really good relationship. And at the end of my articling job, I actually didn't get called back. Okay. And I was devastated obviously everyone wants to get hired back at their articling Mm. but there's also a part of me that said thank god i didn't get hired back okay okay to be honest Mm -hmm. so when i left i got a call from sanira and said hey like i want to just go for lunch for you i haven't seen you in a while and i said yeah let's go she brings me out to lunch and says hey i'm starting a new thing and i want you to come with me amazing started crying Oh, <laughs> I'm like, you know, like this is uh, someone who has been my mentor. Yeah. I look up to her mm-hmm. and for her to say, I want you to start this with me. I want you to be on my team. It was just so empowering. Mm. And I said, a hundred percent, that's what I want to do. Wow. Wow. And, and that's where like everything happens for a reason comes in, right? Like you were at this firm and you had right. a good firm, obviously, but it maybe wasn't the most perfect fit, but it led you to your current boss. And now here you are. And, you know, I want to say this quote that I read the other day and I said, okay, I, this quote, I'm saying it on the podcast because I think <laughs> everyone needs to hear this. Okay. But the quote read, sometimes you don't get what you want because you deserve better. Ooh, right. I like that. So you may think you want something, but you're, and if you don't get it, don't get, be down on yourself because maybe you deserve better than what you think you want. That is, wow, that is a very good quote. I love that. Right. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> I'm going to just like tattoo that to my body. That is so inspiring. Yeah. And no, but look, law students, young professionals, we need to hear that. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. We need to hear that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Law school is not going to tell you that. No, you're right. Wow. I'm having so much fun talking. I'm going to edit this out. I'm having so much fun talking to you. This is a great freaking episode. Um, So, okay. My next question for you is, do you have any advice for future and current law students? 
I have a ton, but let me just say, I think the most important, which is don't stress about the little things. Okay. And the reason why I say this is I'll take you back to my first year in the dual program. Mm -hmm. First year dual program, crazy hard. Uh, You're writing double the exams. You're struggling with like the main concepts of both countries. Yeah. And I thought going into it that I was going to kill contracts, for example. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I did a business degree. I did contract law. I'm going to go into contracts. It's going to be a breeze. It ended up being my lowest grade. With Harris? So, yeah, it was, it, was just, it was horrible, okay? And I remember saying, I'm never going to find a job. Everyone's going to look at this. And, okay, the grade wasn't horrible, but on my – with every law school, student, we all want to, like, just get an A or better. So, it? for my vision, it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So – um, I didn't think I was going to get a job. And then what happened was um, during my Art of Clean Recruit, I did very well. Mm-hmm. I ended up get, landing 15 interviews. Wow. And I was preparing myself for the worst in the sense that I knew every single one of these firms was going to ask me about my contracts grade. What? Let me tell you, not one person asked me about my contracts grade. <laughs> so why did I stress for two, three years about this damn contract grade? Who cares about the contract grade? Who cares? Right? You know what employers care more about? Your personality. They don't want to work with a robot. Mm -hmm. Um, Your community involvement. And the transferable skills like mooding. Yeah. Like being in a law clinic. Like being in legal aid. Like that's what they care about. Mm -hmm. They do not care that you might have not done so well in contracts. So my advice to law students would just be, Okay, maybe you do have that bad grade. Walk on from it. What can you do to be better? Mm-hmm. And it might not be, hey, get a better grade. It might be doing more community outreach. Yeah. It might be more getting involved with your law school. Mm-hmm. Right? So don't don't stress about the little things because when you start to become a lawyer, none of that's going to matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's reassuring to hear because I think that the grades, people really get hung up on grades. And it's such an easy thing to – I mean, I'm on the executive board of Moot at Detroit – and when people thanks yeah when people were applying it's so easy to just look at the grades and be like okay i'm starting off with this as the filter but like my grades are not amazing and my partner and i won the junior competition at detroit you know so i have to like program in my brain like okay grades are obviously a factor but i need to look at the whole picture here and i understand why hiring people and then again why students get stressed out about these grades because it is an easy thing to defer to but you're right. If you have enough on your resume to kind of beef up the rest of it, it will kind of justify the grade potentially or just completely mute it. Yeah. Like for me, if I, now that I'm in the position where we're starting this firm and we're going to potentially be hiring new people, mm. obviously grades are a benchmark and you want to look at grades, but they're not the be all end all. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I would rather someone come to me and say, Hey, you know, I didn't do so hot in that. But let me tell you, I've done six competitive moots. I love litigating. I love writing. And I have hobbies on the side. Like, that's the person I want to work with. Yeah. The real person. Not the academic robot. Yeah. How would you – I've always wondered this, like, for people that don't have, like, amazing grades. And, again, I didn't give you this question ahead of time. But how do you, in an interview, kind of explain away your mediocre grades? Like, how do you, because I've played this out of my brain and someone asks me, well, why is your GPA this? And yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, but I do this and this and this. And they're like, okay, but cool. How do I know that like you can balance everything if clearly your grades are like, wah, 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 you know? How do you kind yeah. of explain that away? What was your, what's your recommendation here? 
So that's the first thing they tell you in career services is have an explanation for your bad grade. Okay. Right? <laughs> you know, they always say that just in case, you know, someone might ask, even though I didn't get asked, mm. but this is how I would frame it. Going forward from my, my first year, I did substantially improve my grades. Okay. I did end up with a high GPA. Cool. So that saved me. But let's say that's not the case. I would show to that person, hey, everyone has different strengths. Yes. So, you know, you may not have the, the skills to do master contracts, but hey, look at my constitutional grade. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at my practical experience. Like, yes. I would just steer away from that one thing because we're not all made the same. Okay. And that's why different people get hired at different firms because we are so different. Mm-hmm. and the skills that you bring to a table like you might compliment someone you work with right so for example Sanira, the, the woman that I work with she may kill contracts she may love contracts but I may love uh, constitutional more or human rights and that's a big aspect of being in employment law so mm-hmm. you don't have to be the master of every single class yeah but you do need to sell who who you are and what you are good at mm-hmm Okay. And my explanation going forward, if someone did ask me was, I didn't enjoy contracts that much. Fine. It's the basis of literally every single law. Probably not the best grade to get the lowest in. But there are other um, courses where I honed in on some of those contract skills. That's not the first time or the last time you're going to do contracts law. Mm-hmm. You do contracts in employment law. I have a great employment law grade. Okay. I have a great grade in my practical learning where I've touched on contracts. I have numerous jobs where I've worked on contracts. So, hey, I can show you I can do well just based on that practical skill. Wow. Good job. I can see why you've been so successful. And that is a great explanation. Everyone listening needs to like bookmark that. I know I certainly will. Um, And then I have one more question before I let you go. How do you, I didn't give you this ahead of time either. I'm sorry. Um, But how do you, hey, I am an open book. No, I was going to say, you're good off the cuff, so I think you're fine. <laughs> How do you define success for yourself? Because, again, I feel like we touched on this. That Wow. Echo- I love that question. Pardon? Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in law school, it's very, um, like, just, yeah, Bay Street's very loud and I think that that's how a lot of people leaving law school to find success but then they get a few years out and then maybe that changes and that's totally fine or maybe it doesn't but how do you personally define success for yourself it is so ironic that you asked me that question because a lot of what I say to law students and a lot of what I say to friends like I pose the question to them how do you define success so I've had this conversation so many times and I define success not by a monetary value, not by what I make every single year, but I really define success in how many people was I able to help that year? How did I grow as a person? And success for me is having a job I am so passionate about and still being able to do my hobbies on the side. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a lot of people who will define their success in how, how much do I make every year? But if you're just the slave to the job, and you're just a slave to the salary, how do you really enjoy life? Mm -hmm. Success is enjoying life. Mm -hmm. And I'm so fortunate to come into a job that I love every day and go home and be off the clock. And actually, I love cooking, for example. Cook. Yeah. Or entertain or, you know, have a good relationship with friends. Mm -hmm. So I think it's 
an important goal for people to set their definition of success early mm-hmm. and do everything in their power to get to that defini- definition. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one answer. Success can be so many things. Mm-hmm. But at the basis of it, success is enjoying what you love, helping people along the way, which is the reason why I came into law school, and being able to do other things, not just law. Okay. Cool. Cool. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Tiana, for coming on the show. This was honestly a really fun, fast conversation. I had a great time getting to know you. Um, Thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me and good luck in the rest of the years of Dual JD program. (laughs) Thank you. And that concludes today's episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in as always. And don't forget to tune in next week for Law School Life and Beyond's next episode of the Leadership Series.